Before we get started on this edition of Ringer FC, I wanted to let you guys know about some exciting stuff happening on the website and the podcast network. First, on the ringer.com, we have six takeaways from a wild World Cup weekend, an article written by my colleague and Ringer FC co-host, Ryan O'Hanlon, recapping everything that happened over the weekend in Russia. Also, with the podcast network, we have the Ringer NBA show daily, every day this week, in the run-up and post-NBA draft, which is happening on Thursday. Check out both on the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. Welcome to Ringer FC World Cup Edition, Day 5. This is Donnie Kwok of TheRinger.com. I'm here with the XG God, Ryan O'Hanlon. What's up, Ryan? I'm just proud of my boys. Proud of your boys. Let's just get right into it. We just watched. Look, I was all ready to start this podcast and saying to say something like, let the inquest begin, let the recrimination begin, because England was about to drop points to Tunisia until Harry Kane came through in stoppage time. And England gets a valuable three points when it looked like for most of the second half that they were going to be held. Uh, Ryan, what do you make of England's performance? Um, I actually think they played reasonably well. I I think starting with comparing them, comparing their results to all of the other sort of, you know, top eight or top 10 teams, (laughs) most of which lost or drew over the weekend or on Friday, I think a three points is three points in that regard. And I think overall, I think they just created a ton of chances. I, I know it was the first half was embarrassing in a lot of ways from a finishing standpoint, whether it was Raheem Sterling, John Stones, Jesse Lingard was the main culprit, just wasting chance after chance. I think well, as the XG guide, I think there was a stat there at the first half. What was the, what was the count? Yeah, the expected goals in the first half was 0.1 for Tunisia and 2.4 for England. To put that into perspective, 2.4 is more than any team in the tournament has registered over a course of over the course of 90 minutes. And England did that in the first 45 <laughs> minutes. Uh, the that their attacking totally kind of petered out in the second half, which I think is a little bit concerning. But overall, the the way that they were just creating kind of guilt-edged chances is not really a thing we've seen from any of the favorites in this tournament so far. So I think they can be pretty happy about that. Well, going in, there was so much talk about how England lacked that creative presence from the midfield. Uh, But I guess that wasn't really the case in the first half because you saw Lingard was lively. Sterling was good um, for the most part, I guess. And it was just the finishing that kind of failed them. I mean, did you see that Harry King kind of got the Neymar treatment from uh, Tunisia, there was some rugby-like tackling out there. That's becoming, uh, that seems like a pretty big theme of this tournament. If your team has one sort of star player the, and a, you're playing kind of an underdog, they're just going to hack the shit out of them. Kick the shit out of them, tackle them, do whatever you can. Did you, did you think that the Tunisian penalty was a penalty on Kyle Walker? It seemed kind of marginal to me. I, with these, I always kind of try to look at it. I mean, no one knows what a penalty is, basically, you know, based on how vague the rules are. But I think if they didn't call that, I don't think anyone would have cared. You know, I think maybe a couple of Tunisian players may yell at the ref for t- 10 seconds, and then other, then that sort of blows over and no one makes anything out of it. But, I mean, I guess his he did raise his elbow for no reason. Um, 
So I, I guess if I was riffing the game, I wouldn't have called it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it wasn't a penalty. Uh, did they VAR that? I can't even remember. Well, I, I think they have to, but then if they don't overturn it, there's just right. no stoppage. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was marginal. I mean, I guess I could see it given it seemed a little harsh. Um, you know, had they not given that, uh, Tunisia barely sniffed the goal, right? I mean, it, it, it was looking, it, it could have ended 1-0 to England without that. Yeah, there are, Tunisia had one shot on goal and it was the penalty. <laughs> so so let's say, let's say Kane doesn't come through in stoppage time. Who would, where would the fingers be pointed? I mean, do you think, so Southgate made two subs in the second half. I guess Rashford came on uh, for Sterling and uh, Loftus-Cheek came in, I think in the 80th minute and looked pretty good out there. So He, he did look good. I, I think, I think the media always points at Sterling so he would be one of them especially since he was he was the first sub and he missed a very kind of very early right he missed a chance. early chance and it was like that classic uh, Sterling doesn't know how to kick a ball which is the the Paul Scholes quote the classic Sterling type of miss though wasn't it yeah where he I think he was even involved in the build-up play right to create the chance and then makes a good Everything run perfect except and, and then he second. like <laughs> couldn't lift his left foot off the ground basically it kind of just hit his ankle so I think he would have been one I think Lingard for sure based on I think he was the he had, he took four shots and they were all from pretty good um positions and just didn't make anything of any of them and I think I think Southgate uh just because like the England manager always is the one that gets the brunt of <laughs> the brunt of the criticism if it doesn't go their way, right? Right. Well, so Harry Kane comes through, spares England's blushes. They have three points now. Uh, their next match is against Panama, who of course played earlier today against Belgium. Again, Belgium Panama Panama was kind of like England England Tunisia in that the more talented team was facing a very res- resilient, resolute defense, but in the end, it was Belgian the Belgian finishing that was the difference. Yeah, also another sort of hacka hack best player on the other team strategy from Panama. Right. Well, I mean, KDB, I, I saw people mentioning on Twitter, I actually missed this, that he stomped on somebody or had a potentially cardable offense, I guess, overlooked by the referee. He's been, did you see the clip of him at Belgium training where he just two-footed Adnan Yanazai? and I then I believe it. And then just didn't help him up and walked away. Like it was clearly a thing that you, one, you never make a tackle like that in training, especially ahead of World Cup. And two, if you do it, you apologize to the guy and he just walked away. So there's he's a little persnickety uh, that KDB. He does. He he's he looks like a middle school bully and he's starting to act like one also. Well, at half of the Belgium Panama game, I think it was it was nil nil, right? And just like after the England Tunisia first half, it was kind of like, what's wrong with what's wrong with Belgium. But yep. like England, I mean, it didn't take to the stoppage time, but they were getting enough chances that you figured eventually they would break through, and then they did in the second half, and it was kind of a blowout from there. Yeah, Dries Mertens, that, I mean, that volley was incredible. And Lukaku, too, who who did barely touch the ball, I guess one touch in the first half? He com- completed two passes and I think had six touches <laughs> in the first half. So basically invisible. And then he came through for two goals uh, in the second half. I mean, you know, a, a lot of hype around Belgium as always, and uh, this so-called golden generation. Does this performance make you think they they are legitimate contenders, or is it is it because of the weakness of the opposition that it's hard to tell? Yeah, I think I still have any of the questions I would have had about Belgium now because, like, all of those goals are one is Dries Mertens just incredibly talented, great finish. 
Second goal is De Bruyne kind of doing a De Bruyne thing, beating a defender, playing a perfect ball, Lukaku finishing. Oh, that was a beautiful pass. Beautiful ball. Um, and then the third one is uh, Eden Hazard kind of leading a counterattack and then Lukaku making a great finish. So to me, the, the three goals were kind of like just individual talent winning out. Um, and I think we all kind of worry about Belgium as a system working together. And I think the difference between El- Belgium and England for me is England were actually creating pretty very good chances from close in all throughout the first half and just weren't finishing while Belgium was kind of left for shots from the top of the box. So right. I, I think I think all of the questions I have for Belgium are, are still there for the most part. Right, and you often mention their lack of fullbacks. I mean, I know they play with three in the back, but I guess Carrasco on the left there was being... I mean, Panama's best chance was down that flank. And uh, shout out to Matt James our colleague who's a Red Bulls fan, because this guy, Michael Amir Murillo uh, of Panama, the one with the blonde hair on, on the right side, he was actually probably their best player. And, and she probably shouldn't be in MLS. No disrespect. So. <laughs> <laughs> MLS has been good good to Panama. I think they, they have a couple guys. Um, do, you, do you think that the England-Panama match will be any different uh, than England-Tunisia or Belgium-Panama for that matter? I mean, do you think Panama has a chance? No. I think Panama is a worse team from, than Tunisia, from what I saw here. I, I I know that Tunisia basically created as much as Panama did and just happened to get a penalty, basically. But Panama's just, you know, the, they were playing that Belgium game for a straight draw. And Tunisia, weirdly, this is a weird thing about Tunisia to me, is they kept playing the ball out of the back, which mm-hmm. I found interesting and doing it reasonably well, but then just then couldn't advance the ball after they played out of the back. <laughs> um, so like a weird co- ball playing confidence, but also an inability to actually c- generate any attack. I, I think, I think if England plays the same game they played against Tunisia against Panama, I think it, it's going to be a pretty lopsided win. So then we're looking at, as many predicted, I guess that last group game between England and Belgium determining first and second. Yeah, is that what you foresee? I guess. Yeah, I think so. That that'll be an, an interesting kind of a weird game because I think this happened. I think Argentina and the Netherlands were in a similar situation in 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think either team sort of came out guns blazing and Argentina just happened to win. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, You know, that's, it's kind of a, not a bad decision in my mind to get, uh, get some guys that haven't played a little run in that game. But the other, the other thing with that is we don't know where Germany is going to finish now. So like <laughs> there could be a world where it's better to finish second. So you're not on Germany's side of the bracket anymore. Um, right. But yeah, I think we, we, we all expected it to be England, Belgium um, final game, deciding the group winner. I think that's where we're headed. Right. Well, that's a good segue actually into Germany's group because the first match of the day, I think before you woke up, Ryan was Sweden and Korea, probably the less said about it, the better. <laughs> My condolences. <laughs> there were 41 fouls in the match, so it was chaotic and probably actually the worst played match, I guess I, I could say, of the tournament so far in terms of quality of play. Um, it was it was kind of messy and and basically I think uh, Sonny uh, Son Heung-min of Korea has kind of a messy problem in that he is clearly the best attacker on Korea, but is forced or the way he's position or deployed is that he has to come back deep and he's Mm -hmm. defending deep and he's essentially like a wing back which really doesn't maximize his ability and I was very perplexed actually uh, why 
Korea w- weren't attacking Sweden a little bit more down the middle because, I mean, their center backs are, are huge, but they're slow. Mm-hmm. And you saw when it got desperate. So basically, Sweden went ahead on a penalty in around the 65th minute of our penalty. It was a penalty, though. And uh, after that, in the last 15 or 20 minutes, you saw Korea pick up the pace. And, you know, they had a couple chances, but they deserve to lose. And it's really kind of upsetting when your World Cup lasts one game. But I think that's pretty much the case for Korea. They play Mexico on Saturday. Uh, And I I don't think Sweden is going to pose a huge problem for Germany uh, in the next game. Uh, So I think Germany is probably still has a good chance to go through. Were you, I kind of felt like, you know, Mexico getting three points against, you know, the understood best team in the group kind of encouraged Korea and Sweden to try to go for three points against each other. One would think. (laughs) And and Sweden actually did kind of go for it. I mean, the thing is they're, they're just bang average team. So they're going for it. Their finishing was atrocious. I mean, if they had some good forwards, um, they probably would have had much more, many more and and credit to the Korean goalkeeper, Cho. I mean, he he played well. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was there for Korea to take and it was, you know, reading all the scouting reports and seeing some of the qualifiers, like it was kind of predictable, sadly. I mean, we had high hopes going in, but Korea's problems in defending and crossing and making Sun the focal point, it all came to light today. And uh, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. Enough about that, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Look how quickly I hopped off the bandwagon. We still have a chance. We could still beat Mexico. But you mentioned, we're talking about Germany. We're talking about Group F. You wrote a really great recap of the weekend kind of about the chaos. I mean, I guess some of the chaos has ended today with Belgium and England winning. Um, but you mentioned in your piece and your takeaways from the weekend about how international football has kind of leveled out and is competitive as ever. What, you know, what's, why is this happening? I think it's because it's, it's pretty easy considering sort of, you know, the globalization of the game and how countries, you know, a lot of countries have their best players playing in the best leagues now and they have access to good coaches as, you know, Korea having Gus Hiddink in 2002, examples like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, e- it's not easy, but if you know, if you sort of have a plan, it's much easier to be competent at soccer on an international level now, I think, than it was um, in, say, 2002, where, you know, maybe this isn't a good example, but <laughs> Germany beat Saudi Arabia 8-0. Um, right. That is typically a result that we're not seeing at this World Cup. Granted, we saw Saudi Arabia lost, lose 5 <laughs> nothing to Russia. Just, just keep Saudi Arabia away from yeah, the World Cup. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think the main takeaway is that there just aren't really easy games anymore, for the most right. part. I mean, even England-Tunisia. England outplayed them, but Tunisia kind of they had an approach to the game. And I, and I think the best way to kind of describe this is if you look at the ELO ratings, Brazil was number one, Switzerland was number 14. One versus 14, that was a pretty pretty well-played game, an interesting game, right? Mm-hmm. And if one plays 14 in the Premier League, it's Manchester City versus Watford and Manchester mm-hmm. City, you know, beat Watford 4 nothing this year. Right. So I think, you know, the the... The winner, the favorites are all still the favorites. And I think probably we, despite the kind of chaos, we're going to still see one of the big teams win it. But the they're, the group below the best teams is bigger than it's ever been, is what I would right. say. I think you mentioned in the piece that 538's five strongest teams coming into today. One win, one loss, and three draws. Yep. So the gap is closing, but also... 
I guess there's an element to like chill out. It's the first game of the group stage. Mm-hmm. Um, of those five teams, I guess, I mean, France obviously is the one win, but Argentina, Brazil, Germany, do you think any of them are in real trouble of, of not advancing to the knockout round? I would still pick all of them to advance, but I honestly, like Germany feels like <laughs> the biggest one to me because, you know, Brazil played fine. They were okay. Um, Switzerland scored on a set piece that was probably a foul. Um, France kind of muddled through their game but ended up getting getting the win 2-1 to one and just having those three points is huge. Argentina, I think, you know, they play that same game a hundred times. I think it goes their way, you know, 80 out of a hundred times. Um, Spain and Portugal, I think, are both still in position to advance. And But Germany, like, do, tell me if you disagree. That game could have been, it could have been 4 nothing in the 60th minute to Mexico. Yeah, I mean, I always hesitate to say it could have been because... That's true. It, it wasn't like they had the, the chances, Mexico. They just... They needed that last pass. Exactly. So it was not even a shot. It was like a pass and a shot that they needed. But I see what you're saying. And and also, I think the warning signs were there a little bit for Germany. And maybe we ignored them. But And I often say to you, like, ignore the friendlies, the warm-up mm-hmm. friendlies. But they only beat Saudi Arabia 2-1. to one, And, uh, yep. you know, there were some warning signs there. Yeah. But on the other, I guess on the other side of that coin is uh, Mexico's manager was booed off the field <laughs> in their last friendly. And he actually <laughs> had his team pretty prepared. But... I think the takeaway for me is that I think Germany wants to play, you know, they want to play like Manchester City plays. That's what they tried to do. Play like barely any midfielders, shove all these attackers on the field and press. But like every time they lost a ball against Mexico, Mexico just had a, you know, five on three counterattack, um, just leaving Hummels and Boateng out to dry. So I think Germany obviously has a ton of talent still, but I think they probably have to change the way they play. Mm-hmm. with that talent and I think changing the way that they play probably lowers their ceiling a little bit so basically we made that bet on video that <laughs> <laughs> I, I said if Germany you said actually Germany wasn't going to make it out of the group stage and I said I would eat one of your cleats if that happened am I going to have to eat a cleat Ryan I don't think so mainly because of what you just said about Sweden <laughs> <laughs> alright so that does it for the recap uh, we'll be back in a second to preview tomorrow's matches uh, from Group H Here's a quick break to tell you about Teeter. If you have back pain or even if you have been lucky enough to avoid it, you need a Teeter inversion table to keep your back and joints feeling great. As the best known name in inversion tables since 1981, Teeter has been safety certified by UL Laboratories and FDA cleared as a class one medical device for back pain and related conditions. It uses gravity and your own body weight to decompress the spine and relieve pressure on your discs and surrounding nerves. Decompressing on a teeter for a few minutes a day is a great way to maintain a healthy spine and active lifestyle without the pain. No wonder over 3 million people have put their trust in teeter. For a limited time, you can get the teeter inversion table plus bonus accessories and a free pair of gravity boots that let you invert at home or at the gym. To get this deal and save over $148, just go to teeter.com FC. You also get free shipping, a 60-day money-back guarantee, and free returns, so there's no risk. But you have to go to teeter.com slash FC. That's T-E-E-T-E-R slash FC to get the teeter with bonus accessory and a free pair of gravity boots. All right, one last group left to play. It's Group H, which I can't remember where it went in our group draft, but um, it's a very exciting group, I guess, because there's no favorites or no 
tournament favorites in the group. It seems wide open, no weak teams. Um, but Ryan, I think the first match, Colombia-Japan, Colombia was kind of your dark horse or someone you said that maybe we should be p- putting a bet on. Yeah, Colombia was my team. Um, if you wanted to win money, um, right. but also not risk a lot of money, right. my bet was to bet on them to win the World Cup. I think they were... Around 40, to 17 to one. No, I think 40 to one. Um, oh, 40 to and then one, it okay. dropped to 33 to one, um, after we made the video uh, <laughs> because everyone took my advice and started Hashtag betting on them. influencer. <laughs> so, but you know, James, everybody knows him, I guess, from 2014, and obviously what he's been doing at Bayern. Is there anything else in particular uh, we should be looking for from Colombia? Um, I think it'll just it's going to be great to see Falcao finally play in the World Cup. Wow, um, at 32, I guess, 31, that's his first ever. Yep, he. I think tore his ACL, right? Or had a right. bad knee injury right before the like last World Cup. Injury, yeah. and, I, and then tried to get healthy just in time and then didn't and then had kind of an off couple of years. Um, you know, had a three two-year stretch where he scored seven goals total um, in club soccer. Then he went back to Monaco, scored 21 goals last season, 18 goals this season. Um, and it's just, you know, we saw it today with England, like, a lot of these games are being decided by very fine margins and just having a proven goal scorer like Falcao, I know it's an obvious thing to say, but having him scoring, James creating, it's just, it's a pretty solid combination. And that's kind of just what I like about it. Colombia in general, it's, you know, we just talked about Germany kind of trying all these complicated tactics. Colombia just like makes sense. They have two defensive midfielders, have a number 10 who can create and score. They have a guy who can finish and then they have wingers, solid center backs, and play with four in the back. It's it's just yeah. a, their talent is really straightforward. Yeah, one thing I noticed looking over their roster is that the starters, or the projected starters at least, most of them have like between 50 and 80 caps, which is mm-hmm. like a good sweet spot of experience. Except, of course, there are two center backs, Davison Sanchez of Tottenham and Yerry Mina of Barcelona. I think they have like 10 to 12 caps each, but... Yeah, I mean, it shows that they have the solidity, I guess, and the grit and experience in these competitions. Exactly, and you know... If you're going to have inexperienced players, having guys that play for Tottenham and Barcelona is probably uh, a good way to make up for that. And they yeah. have their manager is the same manager from uh, 2014. So I think there is just a lot of continuity with this team, which sometimes can lead to the teams becoming stale and then just getting embarrassed at the World Cup. But I think with Colombia, it's going to make them make them a tough out. Yeah. Conversely, Japan, their opponent tomorrow morning, uh, their manager has been in there for only two months. I think it's one of four managers at this world cup who have taken took over after qualifying it's it's crazy that that happens to me yeah but you know you guys all know the main players of japan kagawa honda okazaki asebe so i think you know looking at their team i think they might be a little bit underrated actually um so i think it'll be an interesting match tomorrow the second match is poland and senegal actually i noted that senegal is the every african no african team has even won a point yet so it could Senegal be the ones to do it? Has uh, has Asia won a point? I think Iran did, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've Iran won did. one point. Po- Poland, of course, was like a, kind of mocked a little bit as being, I mean, I don't know if they were mocking Poland or mocking FIFA, but Poland is the top seed in this group. And they kind of got that through a little loophole by playing so few friendlies <laughs> and not having the ability to be rated lower or yeah. higher, I guess. Uh, do you think they are worthy of a top seed, and do you think that they are the favorites in this group? Uh, I guess not. If you if you if you're bullish on Colombia, no, but. I wouldn't put them as a top eight team, and it's kind of funny because <laughs> I think they're probably in the toughest group for a favorite in all in a lot of ways. J- just because yeah. Colombia, Senegal, Japan, these are all 
seemingly solid teams, they right? Kind with, of failed, in other words, in their in their little yeah, exactly, their, their the, little hack, their UEFA hack. If they got the Russia group, um, they would have succeeded. But <laughs> but I, I think Poland Senegal, um, Poland tries to play like a really kind of aggressive attacking style, which you know is fun for viewers. They have Lewandowski up top. Um, 16 goals in qualifying, which is crazy amount. <laughs> yeah, so so I think the thing with Poland is like, it's can a team just focus on Lewandowski, shut him down, and then they just are basically just lose all their attacking oomph? Is it better to have, you know, five guys each scoring five goals? I think that's kind of the question with them. I mean, I feel like, obviously this is only the first round of the first, of, of the group stage, but we're not far from like a, why can't African teams advance in the World Cup think piece? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but do you think Senegal stands a chance, I guess, in this group? I do. Um, and it's not... It's all Mane? It's all Mane, exactly. <laughs> um, I just think that they... There's not really much from Senegal's recent performances or even how they didn't qualifying to suggest that <laughs> the team is any good. But I, I think it's just, there's just a ton of talent. And I, right. you know, I've said it before, like sometimes when you get down to it, international soccer, like just look at the team's roster and see the club teams the guys play for. And then, you know, if they're all playing in Europe for top teams, it's the team's going to have a little bit of potential at least. And I think, you know, they've got Mane, They've got Koulibaly from Napoli, who's one of the better center backs in the world. I think he's he's a guy that you could maybe see moving teams this summer. Um, and then they've got um, you know a bunch of Idrissa Gay from Everton, Kuyate from West Ham. You know that's not <laughs> Kuyate is not the most exciting player, but they they just have a bunch of guys that are getting minutes at in the top European leagues. Um, and shout out too to their manager Alucise who, of course, played in their 2002, I guess, quarterfinalist team. Everyone talks about Hervé Renard as, like, the most stylish manager, which, fair, I mean, he's like a tan white guy in a <laughs> pressed white shirt. Exactly. All you see, say, wears the cool kind of old-school glasses, and sometimes he's wearing, he wears track suits, he's got the long dreads. I mean, he's the coolest manager. I totally agree on Team Cissé. <laughs> I think Senegal actually has a chance because... You know, there's always stereotypes of African teams, and I think, uh, you know, of maybe being defensively unsound or, or I don't, you know, things like that. And I think the Senegal team actually, although they have Mane, everybody knows him, uh, they are combative and kind of conservative playing. They don't necessarily play this expansive football, but um, I think their ability to hold ranks, and you mentioned Kubali, I think they have a chance. Yeah. Especially, especially against Poland. I, they're sort of the the kind of opposite of Poland, I would say. You know, they're they just they're built on solidity, and they have a couple guys up top that can create something out of nothing. So, they kind of I think I'm talking myself into them being kind of the ideal tournament team. <laughs> you heard it here first. First African team to pick up points at this World Cup will be Senegal. I was going to say Senegal's going to win the World Cup, but I, I'm glad you, you tempered the enthusiasm. <laughs> and then the the final match tomorrow, we're, we're getting now into the second round of the group stage. Uh, Russia and Egypt. Russia obviously coming off the 5-0 win. Egypt off the heartbreaking loss to Uruguay. Again, the main storyline is Salah. Let me just read a quote from you I saw today. The manager of Egypt said, quote, Salah's fit. In the previous match against Uruguay, we thought he was fit also, but we always draw up a last physical test. Today, which is, what, 
Tuesday? Monday. Today we'll have an important test for him to see how he does. I think he'll be fit to play. He's an important part of our team. Uh, tomorrow I'm optimistic he'll be able to play. And yesterday, Salah's agents tweeted, Muhammad is fit. So this is going to be either he plays and we'll all be scrutinizing his performance or he doesn't play and we'll just have incessant shots of him on the bench reacting to everything that happens. What, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, for some reason, I feel like he's going to like come on for 20 minutes at the end of the game. I, I feel like they're really stringing us along because, you know, like they said, you just said it, they said he was close to 100% fit, right, a- ahead of the last game. So then isn't like a 60% fit Salah probably Egypt's best player still, you know? Yeah, I feel like the manager's low-key kind of throwing him under the bus a little bit, suggesting that he was ready to play last game. He just didn't want it enough. I mean, it's, I guess it's maybe reading too much into it because um, he didn't say that, but it seems like it's implied that he could have played with or without. I mean, can they beat Russia without him, I guess is the question. Because if they don't, they're done, and it doesn't matter if Salah plays. I think they could, but I think it would be, you know, they they held, it was, a it was the Uruguay game was a lopsided game, ultimately, I think, despite what the scoreline said. But Egypt was okay, you know, and, and I think Uruguay's a, I would imagine, a much better team than Russia. I guess we'll find out <laughs> as the games go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Saudi Arabia kind of has just inflated our kind of opinion of Russia, but... They have to beat Russia, right? Like, they, they can't tie this game. Do they, do they have any chance, do you think, if they tie this game to end up advancing? Uh, probably not. And I think Russia, know, knowing that as the host country here, if they win this game, they're guaranteed, basically. They are guaranteed. I, I guess it depends on what happens in the other game, but basically guaranteed to go to the knockout stage. They're going to, I think they're going to have a go. Yeah. I mean, the 538 odds has Russia at 92%, Uruguay at 94%, and, uh, Egypt at 12%. So if your odds are that low to claw some back, I think you have to win the game. So, but the other thing is like, if Salah couldn't play at all against Uruguay, how sort of functional is he going to be five days later? I mean, I don't know much about shoulder injuries and the recovery time, but uh, I mean, you're right. If he wasn't, if he was, if he couldn't play even 10 minutes, it's hard to imagine him being able to play 90. Yeah, the, the uh, cynical a week later. cynical part of me is like, well, they couldn't rule Salah out for the World Cup because then like everyone would have been sad. And then they couldn't rule him out for the first game because they wanted people to watch. And then they couldn't rule him out for this game because of the same reason. And right. it's going to end up with like Egypt losing to Russia, Salah not playing, and then he plays like 15 minutes <laughs> at the end of their last game. And scores four goals. Exactly, wins the golden boot. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of uh, Ringer FC World Cup. Thank you, Ryan, as always. Thanks, Tommy. And we'll be back tomorrow. Peace. Peace.